0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome and lots of gratitude for people sticking with the practice and the course. It's how we uh, build community, and as I'm sure most of you realize, it wouldn't be the same, you know, if. We didn't have a group to do this practice with and to do this study with. And we'll have small groups at the end tonight for the last 20 minutes. I see that Susan's here, so Susan will divide up the people on Zoom and I'll do it for the people here in the room. And of course, really our whole Dharma adventure is the fourth tetrad. And impermanence is really just about opening to the underlying nature of our experience any moment, right? It's just getting a little closer, moving beyond our the sort of oppressive dominance of our thoughts about things and into the a more immediate truth of our experience, which is it's always an unfolding process. Always. But we don't think of that. You know, our language has a real diluting effect on our how we frame, or how we understand experience, because language creates a sense of solidity. I'm Mark, you know, that word, our name, it makes it seem like it's this edifice of me. But I'm not saying that it isn't something, I'm saying it's a changing something, you know, it's a process unfolding. And... We can turn that into a thing too. But when we really experience the process nature, which is just our subjective experience, it's just the way it is, it really has a serious effect on who we are and how we live. And that's the only way, you know, when we talk about nibbana or an insight into the unconditioned nature, the deeper truth of things, it can sound a little you know, like achievement-oriented. You know, have you had one of those deep insights and kind of rank people on the bulletin board about... But the, the way that it, uh, we really understand it isn't what someone says. It's like, how has my life been changed? That's the only reliable barometer or, you know, way to evaluate how your practice is going. How has my life been changed? And so specifically with the fourth tetrad, where we're observing impermanence, dispassion, cessation, culminating in letting go, or actually, uh, or accurately giving up. There's two related words, um, important words related to liberation. One is, gets translated as letting go and one gets translated as giving up. And, uh, but it's, it's a natural shedding. So the real question for all of us is, and you could bring this up in your small group, when I pay attention to what aspect of my experience does attachment and clinging and grasping and craving <clears throat> strengthen and you know get more established in the mind? And, you know, the counter to that, when I pay attention to what aspect of experience does letting go happen? What do we need to pay attention to? What do I need to keep in mind so that when I do that, I keep that in mind, very naturally, effortlessly letting go, the heart moves in the direction of release, of letting go, of dispassion, cessation, culminating and letting go. And so in a way, you know, that fourth tetrad, what do you imagine is the object of meditation, right? It's in a way, it's the most subtle object, right? It's the, it's the letting go, the letting go of doing or being a doer doing, the letting go of intending. Because everything, you know, this is the nice thing in the third tetrad, when we have more refined uh, meditative states, the mind is more gathered, unified, more still and quiet. We can sense how even uh, keeping the simplicity of the mind in mind, even that intention, is a bit of a burden. Any intention, any sense of uh, somebody needing to do something is a bit of a burden. And that's really the advantage of having a concentrated state is those more subtle activities stand out as extra, something that can be released. And then with the fourth tetrad, we basically have this uh, fruit of the Buddha's own understanding you know because he in his own practice and then people many many who knows maybe millions of people through the centuries probably but who knows um, confirm the same insight like when I keep what in mind does it lead naturally to this letting go this awakening this deep insight where the mind realizes the mind empty of grasping. The mind we know, you know, the mind that reminds me of me, (laughs) that mind is a mind with grasping. We know the mind with grasping, with clinging, with attachments, a mind that is dependent. We don't know, probably, we might have some intuition, we might have some experience, but we don't probably fully... Haven't fully realized, fully internalized the mind that is empty of all grasping. And even more profoundly, empty of even the latent tendency to grasp. You know, when we have a really beautiful, pure state of loving kindness, and so not even necessarily a deep meditative state, because we can fall into that just in ordinary moments, you know, where the quality of love is very uh, pure. There's there's no self in it. It's just that kind of, hopefully we all know this, you know, experience. It can happen in really simple moments, you know, where you see a squirrel that's happy to have found an acorn, you know, or whatever. And, uh, And then to see, to recognize... What's not there? Like that mind isn't hungry for anything. There's a a natural radiance, like a giving of love, you could say. But the mind isn't trying to, you know, this is the moment before the mind wants to hold on to that moment, right? Because it's very easy to lose it. And what the Buddha discovered is, you know, these three characteristics, these interrelated ways of talking about what's here. Because even when we talk about, like, feeling the breath coming in, that simple experience of touching at the nostrils or the movement of the abdominal wall, rising and falling, or sound is sound, touch is touch, thought is thought, what we call in Buddhism, the specific characteristics. So not my interpretation of the thought, of the sound, of the sensation, but the raw immediacy of any of the six contact through the six sense gates, mental activity and then the five physical senses. But there's something more relevant about the present moment Than this simple, the simple immediacy of sense contact, which is the underlying nature of any sense contact. Like in the winter for our Buddhist studies course, we're going to dig into the Buddhist teachings on dependent co arising. In some ways, the the most subtle set of teachings. And what the Buddha is talking about is, You know, just how interdependent everything is. And uh, what makes existence, what makes our reality or relative reality the way it is, is this codependent interaction. When there's this, there's that. You know, when there's name, this... uh, part of the mind that's naming then there's the things that the mind names and this is like what we would call in kind of ordinary language objective reality we don't realize that objective reality arises from the nature of the mind that names things right we don't see that so this uh, this process in the fourth Uh, Tetrad is really about that implosion, like when we keep in mind the underlying nature, the changing, impermanent, ephemeral, insubstantial, unsatisfactory, not worthy of grasping, impersonal nature, when we keep that in mind, when we see um, the... Uh, tiny Bhikkhu, a really well known buddhist scholar and buddhist monk a westerner who's the abbot of uh wat metta buddhist monastery outside of san diego some of comrades community members have done practice there um, he gives the example like you see a really good movie where you uh you really got drawn in you know for that hour and a half or whatever it was and you know got lost in the movie and the story and it. And then after you watch the movie, you know, you watch a two-hour documentary of the making of the movie and you get a sense of like how much work, months and months of work, how many, you know, skilled people it took, how much money, how much effort to make that, you know, hour and a half experience that I had, which I've already you know, it's already gone now after the documentary. And then the point of that little simile is like, that's what we're doing all the time. And with the fourth tetrad, we're really seeing like, do I need to keep it going? Maybe I can put it, put down the whole drama of who I am, what this is. Maybe I can really just allow nature to do what nature will do when wisdom, when the mind sees the truth of how all of this is constructed. Gabe and I and uh, Shelley and Wynne, we've been studying a series of lectures by a Sri Lankan monk and scholar on Nibbana for a couple of years now, I think, just slowly plugging away at these 31 lectures or whatever it is anybody can find them online at the Barry Center for Buddhist studies website you can check with me or Gabe when you see us if you're interested um, but he uses a similar simile of the of a theater and I think I mentioned it in this group or one of the, the recent groups I was teaching in um, like if you're watching a really great play you know and even though they've got all this stagecraft the makeup and the the set, and it's not really what it appears to be, but because of the lighting and the skill of the stage people and the acting and the makeup artists, you know, you can get really drawn in. But then if someone were to sort of lift the roof off of the theater and remove the walls, and there you are, it's the middle of the day in a big city, and all that activity swirling around, what would arise in our heart? dispassion. We would become dispassionate about what was going on in the play. It just would become less and less relevant as we saw the mugging over here and the car accident over there and the attractive person over there and the loud jet flying overhead and thunder clouds coming in from the east or, you know, whatever it might be. It's like relative to the totality we really see that it's a lot of work to keep the drama of the play going we don't realize it when we're absorbed because we're on that thin crust of juiciness of the story i mean i really see this whenever i'm binging every anything you know and i'm watching a couple episodes of something in a row and i really notice how much work it is to kind of stay engaged. Or like, I'm reading and I'm getting a little tired, but I have this notion, or I should finish the chapter. I'm sure this is a common phenomenon. And it's like, uh, you know, oh, it's so much work to track. And then it's like, well, why read it if you're not tracking? You know, it's like, to track, you know? And it's like, like to hold the whole thing together. And it's the same thing like when you're talking with a friend, but you don't really care what they're talking about? It's like, it's so much work. But, you know, if, there, if somebody's talking and you are interested in it, it doesn't seem like work, but actually it is the same amount of work, but we're not noticing it because we're in that thin crust of the juiciness, which seduces us and captures the, uh, the mind, and the mind is unaware of how much work it is, to be in that little bubble and to be kind of holding that little bubble together, whatever that little bubble that the mind is constructing in the mind. Let me just read a little from, this is one of the resources, um, you know, at the bottom of the emails that I've been sending out, there's a link to all of the um, Anapanasati resources. And one of them is this article by, this monk I mentioned, uh, Thani The Steps of Breath Meditation. So I'm reading the end of that where he's really talking about the fourth uh, tetrad. So he's uh, just finished talking about the third tetrad. He says, This finally leads to the stages of breath meditation associated with insight. First there's insight into inconstancy or impermanence, both in the breath but more importantly in the mind as you see that even these stable, very refreshing levels of concentration are will. Underlying all the refreshment, all the stability, is a repeated willing, 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 to keep the state of concentration going. So what that might look like is that intention to be interested in the stillness and the simplicity and the peacefulness. It doesn't, seem like much, but it's a subtle sense of doing that's a burden in the heart. There is an element of burdensomeness there. Insight into inconstancy or impermanence has less to do with how you consume experiences than it does with how you produce them. You see all the effort that goes into producing a particular type of experience, and the question becomes, is it worth it? (laughs) Isn't this burdensome having to keep making, making, making these experiences all the time? Like, is it worth it? Then the problem becomes, what are you going to do if you let go of this burden? If you don't fabricate these states of concentration or any state, if you don't fabricate them, is your only choice to go back to fabricating other kinds of experiences? Or is it possible not to fabricate any experience at all? Right? So that's a way of understanding what in Buddhism we mean by the unconditioned or nirvana, 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 It's like the mind that's not fabricating, the mind that's not grasping, grasping, clinging, attachment, dependence. That is how the mind constructs experience. And really, you know, you don't have to believe this. It doesn't help to believe it. All of this, what we call reality or relative existence, is a construction. right? I mean, simply, we know it's arising in our mind. We have a sense that it's external, but we have to just hold that lightly because we don't actually know that. All we know is it's being known in the mind, right? That's what we know. And maybe there's something external that somehow is parallel to what's known in the mind. But we don't know that. We just know this is being known in the mind in the same way that a dream is known in the mind. And a dream can be quite real and vivid, right? Even our waking dreams when we're fantasizing or doing whatever we're doing, right? It really, it's so interesting when we, you know, do something, as I find I'm doing more as I get older, you know, really diluted, and it just seems to make more sense, I mean, total sense, and then you realize, like, oh, that's not the tea. <laughs> you know, we're doing something as if I'm sure I've got what I think I have, and then we, oh, no, I don't have what I think I have. It's like, I forget exactly what I was doing. Like, maybe I was putting the spoon to scoop out the tea in the teapot instead of the container that has the tea. It was like something really, you know, you would think, like, What is this? What's happening to me? Luckily, I have an excuse. I'm sick. Okay. (laughs) Mental faculties are diminished, maybe. And now you come to the point where that element of will, that element of intention, begins to stand out as an obvious burden, particularly when you look around and ask, to ask, who am I producing this for? Exactly who is consuming this? You come to see that your sense of who you are, who this consumer is, is difficult to pin down because it's all made out of the aggregates, right? The mind, the activity of the mind and body. And the aggregates themselves are inconstant, stressful and not self. Those are the three characteristics, impermanence, dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, and the impersonal nature. This consumer is something produced as well. This gives rise to a quality the texts call Ibida, which is similar to dispassion, but it's, uh, he says here, um, usually translated as disenchantment or disen- disillusionment. Sometimes the translation gets stronger, revulsion, right? Because the heart feels betrayed, like when that insight comes in, there's a sense of like, oh, I thought sense experience, I thought this world of sense experience was more than what it is. It isn't what I thought it was. And we've had this in little bits, all of us, right? Where whatever it was that you were really into, and then you kind of had a bigger deeper, wider, more subtle picture and you realize I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. I mean think about what you were into when you were a teenager. You know, and then now looking at looking at that activity or that obsession with this eyes like I don't care about that. But it was so important. Well what changed? We see something now that we didn't see that. What do we see? We see it's not worthy of grasping. So this is insight is just becoming more pervasive, related to all sense experience. Nothing is worthy of grasping. Doesn't mean that because it's not worthy of grasping, doesn't it mean it's worthy or we need to reject it. See, a lot of times we think because. You know, like we see our cat being cute and we want to kind of pick it up and hug it or your child or you know, whatever your partner. But somehow, you know, to say to yourself, well, I'm a Buddhist, I'm not going to do that. That's just another attachment, right? It's like you're clinging to this idea now that I'm somebody who doesn't pick up my cat anymore because I'm not attached to it. No, it would be like you pick up the cat and 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 you feel the the ephemeral pleasure of that moment of metta. Let's say it's pure love between you, and, you and the four-legged beast. You feel it, but you notice its ephemeral nature. Like there's no part of the heart that's holding or expecting to feed on it, to get something from what is, in this relative sense, a really nice experience. It's still a really nice experience in this relative sense. What's gone is only what was extra all along, what was always a cause for stress all along. We're only abandoning what is stressful. That's the only thing we're letting go of. You still get to be a human being. You still get to have your personality. You're just not expecting it to deliver anything worthy of grasping. And so, what's left then? He gets into this. I'll just end here before we divide up into groups. So, you focus on letting go. According to the text, first there's a focus on dispassion, then a focus on cessation, and finally a focus on total relinquishment. In other words, in the final stage, you let go of every kind of doing, every kind of volition of the producer, of the consumer, of the observer even the perceptions and the thought fabrications that made up the path, right? That's that simile in the Buddhist text about not dragging the, the raft around. You needed the raft to get across the flood, but then you don't have to carry the raft along, right? So when you're, it's like, uh, even in people who've been practicing for, even when you're having a really good sit, and there's a lot of equanimity, a lot of this clarity, but not attachment, the hindrances aren't there in the mind, right? To then imagine that I'm a Buddhist practitioner, I better get serious in my meditation. That would be a defilement in that meditation, wouldn't it? Because at that point, you don't need the raft of the practice. You can just trust this is the mind relatively free of grasping. This is the mind relatively free of the defilements. This is a mind experiencing some peace, the peace of the absence of the defilements or the hindrances. Oh. So that mind, like the practitioner, the practice is trusting that I don't have to be a Buddhist practitioner as opposed to being compelled to be kind of a, a Buddhist practitioner in that More ordinary or superficial sense, which was useful. That's how you got there. You kind of put on your Buddhist outfit and you sat yourself down and you, you know, went through the paces. You connected with the breath, you sustained with the breath, you, you know, whatever the system you used, it was willing, 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 doing, 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 intending, intending, intending. Because without willing, 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 doing, 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 intending, 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 we're just going to will, 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 do, 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 intend, intend, intend in ways that lead to more neurotic, unhelpful activity. So when we're there as a Buddhist practitioner willing the Buddhist activities, intending the Buddhist activities, doing the Buddhist activities, they're the activities that purify the mind so the mind can sense what's extra and in sensing what's extra letting go happens and then the more the mind understands this the more the mind understands exactly what to keep in mind and that's what i said for homework this last week and you can bring it up in your small group you know when i keep what in mind does letting go happen when i keep what in mind does attachment happen and it's not about like what object, but what way of relating to objects. When I relate in this way, like if I'm in the room, but I'm just noticing the stuff that I like, like if somebody has really good sitting posture now, and they seem really still and tranquil, and like they got good samadhi going, right? See, that could, if I look at that in a particular way, I was like, oh, I I want that, you know? Or I could look at it in another way that, that won't lead to grasping, like, oh, that's a thing of beauty, you know? May that goodness continue, may it increase, may it never end, you know? Just appreciating, there's no, nothing left over when you appreciate something as being beautiful or wholesome. There's no unwholesome reverberation after a moment of that. But if I'm liking, if I'm thinking, oh, i got to get my act together so I can be that calm and that steady and look that good. Yeah. No, I that. Or we just fall into doubt, like I'll never be good at this. So there are ways that we pay attention that lead to grasping, and there's ways that we relate to the present moment that lead to release. And related to this, like in the small groups, is just those places in your life where you actually felt that delighting in letting go, that delighting in relinquishment. Gee, even in very ordinary ways, like, oh, that was a burden that was just released, that a moment ago I didn't even know it was carrying. But now it feels so right to have left that behind, to have put that down, to have dropped that attachment.